Hi, I'm Valerie Moisel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's, the initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order, and yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is She Dynasty. Today, we're going to be speaking with Sandra Lopez. Sandra is the Vice President and General Manager of Intel Sports. She has been a true pioneer, leading the efforts behind Intel's strategic business partners, ultimately catapulting Intel as one of the most innovative companies in the Internet of Things. She's been named one of the 50 most powerful women in tech by the National Diversity Council and one of Latina Style's top 10 Latina executives of the year. Before we interview Sandra, I'd like to introduce you to today's co-host, Hope Lee. Hope is an account management supervisor at my company and has worked with me for multiple years. I thought Hope would be the perfect person to do this podcast with me because she has extensive experience on other tech clients, such as Lenovo, and she's also worked with Intel in the past. Welcome, Hope. Hi, Valerie. How are you? Good. Thank you for being here today. I know you were a little nervous about doing this. I am quite nervous. But when you found out I was doing Sandra's, you decided that this one was the right one for you. What was it about Sandra that intrigued you and gave you the courage to do this? Well, other than the fact that she's an inspiration, she's a minority, I'm a minority. And I like to hear how she overcame some of those challenges. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to hear that from her. I mean, obviously, she comes from a different background but there probably will definitely be some common bonds between you. Yeah, and I'm excited to hear her. Well, I think you're going to do a great job. Sounds good. Hi, Sandra. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. You know, I've been following your career for years, and I know your schedule is really, really packed, and it's a big deal for you to take time. So it means a lot that you came. Thank you for having me. This is really important in terms of having the opportunity to speak to your audience and um, share a little bit about my background and how I got to where I'm at. You know, I was drawn to have you on She Dynasty not only because of your incredible accomplishments, but also because of how important it is to you to personally mentor and give back to younger generations. And, you know, that's the whole point of She Dynasty. So when I read that in your bio and in everything you put out, you were just like a must-have. I had to figure out how to get you here, and I did it, so I'm super excited. Thank you. So, Sandra, I think you have one of the most thought-provoking, curious, and exciting jobs in the world. When I asked you how you describe what you do for a living, you responded with three simple words, engineering the future. That's kind of a big deal. Can you explain to us exactly what that means? Yeah, I think um, the fortunate opportunity in terms of working at Intel is that we have to really understand where society is going because as a hardware manufacturer, we have to begin to anticipate what is the technology that we should be building seven years ahead. And so when we look at society at large and we look at what consumers or businesses need to either be more productive, more efficient, or fundamentally ensuring that people can live a better life. We are sitting in the middle of it and defining it and creating the future. And so, um, but with that comes responsibility. And it's very important that we create technology not for technology's sake, but technology for good. Um, you're seeing that become so apparent with artificial intelligence and algorithms and making sure that we are inclusive and in taking the world at large, because when you are building algorithms, you're informing the machine to make some decisions. And how do you take that into consideration in terms of how people live? And um, I like to use the example of if you're building an algorithm for autonomous cars, and you're going down the highway, and a car is about to get into an accident, if you design the algorithm to turn left, in that scenario, you could possibly kill five family members in a car, or turn right and you go off the ledge and you kill your kid in the back 
Or what about if you're in Asia, do you kill a sacred cow? And so those conversations, when we talk about diversity and inclusion, it's not just about, it's not about meeting the numbers. It's about making sure that all voices are represented. So when you are creating technologies or you are creating those algorithms, you're having those thoughtful conversations to make sure that we engineer a better society um, versus reverse engineer and take us um, backwards. So you're responsible for creating possibilities that we don't even understand yet. It's a huge, huge responsibility. Do you look at it that way? I mean, I think the entire company and our employees and my team, we collectively look at the responsibility that we have and driving conversations forward. So, you know, oftentimes people ask me, like, why haven't you left Intel? I'm like, well, Intel has been such a steward of making some positive change. So I often say... We were talking about diversity inclusion back in 2015 before it became a trend. And at that time, our CEO got on the biggest stage of the Consumer Electronics Show and talked about driving full representation by 2020, and we're going to get there this year. And the intent was because we understood that technology is pervasive. It's everywhere. It's in the home. It's in the smart car. So we should address and provide services and experiences for 50% of the population. So that's female and men. Um, Also in terms of just thinking about how do you bring people that are in the automobile industry or even architecture because everything's like technology is everywhere. And so then you need to have those blended experiences where people are coming from the film industry or the fashion or, um, you know, urban planning. And where does that role of technology live and where do these experts come together? So, wow, it sounds like you're using technology to build bridges between different types of industries. That's exciting. You know, every morning I wake up and I kind of pinch myself and I say, I'm so lucky because we are at the heart of creating the future and we see it um, when we talk about where technology is going and how you can positively impact uh, society. Can you give people listening some examples of the types of initiatives you're working on currently? Yeah, so currently, if you start to look at the evolution of how we're consuming content, so uh, consumers consume content originally, like you know, the newspaper and then television and then digital, and now consumers want an experience that's much more personal and much more immersive. And so Intel Sports and media are very committed to providing the next generation of storytelling. And I always like to say, like, I could talk about things in an abstract world, but like real stories are the ones that give you goosebumps. Um, and about About a year ago, an individual sent an email to uh, Nesson, which was our partner, about how he was able to go visit the Fenway, which is Red Sox, and he thought he never could because he had ALS. And so our technology was able to transport him not only to the venue, but he had viewpoints that he could not even have if he even went to the venue, and, and he was forever grateful. And you think about the people around the world and whether you're in a tier three city of uh, in China and they are admirers of the Warriors and Steph Curry and they want to be able to watch him play, you can with that te- our technology and it's not gimmicky. It's like literally as if you were in front row seat or on the court and experiencing the game from either a fan viewpoint or from the viewpoint of the of the player. You can take that technology and you think about applying it to concerts. Um, just last week I was walking outside of a building and a gentleman was telling me he's working two, uh, two jobs and he needed to work really hard and he wanted to go to this concert and the concert, I go, oh, well, you know, you, you have to work two jobs to go to the concert. He's like, I have so many expenses. And his perspective is like, I'm saving a lot of money because the concert that I wanna go to the tickets are so expensive and it actually affects his ability to pay rent and because he wanted front row seats and the tickets were about $400. And I walked out thinking, little does he know that in a couple of years, the technology that we're delivering will get him front row seats, not only front row seats, but also back row seats. And to me, that's what gets me excited. You know, really democratizing these experiences that not everybody gets to go. I can't even imagine how many lives you're going to affect with this. Exactly. So I went and visited your LinkedIn profile, and I also noticed that next to your title, you had listed that you were a mentor for next-gen female leadership. Is that something that Intel's charged you to do, or is that just a passion point that you've kind of taken on yourself? 
that's a passion point that I've taken on myself, really from the perspective that I would not be where I'm at today if I didn't have my own mentors and sponsors. When I talk about mentors and sponsors, both male and female, you know, I was going to a meeting earlier this week with the next generation of female young Latinas. And I was thinking about like, if I look at my career and where I'm at today, what would be the percent I would attribute to mentors and sponsors? And I would say it's 60%. Really that much? Yes. You know, you have your intellect and your hustle. And I think there's a bit of luck. But every job that I have received or provided an opportunity has been through networking or that mentor or that sponsor that connection and I think what area of opportunity for females is that most females tend to either ignore the importance of networking or if they acknowledge networking they tend to go deep and I always tell people like y'all want to have just best friends and you want to go deep and you feel like you have to have this deep rapport I go we should leverage a play from the the men's playbook because they go wide and they have lots of relationships and they don't go deep and they don't feel the obligation of having to contact them every month or every year you know they can go and reach out to somebody in their network you know that they met three years ago I think what's important in those relationships is that there is um, a mutual understanding of why that relationship exists also the responsibility to help bring forward the next generation of female leaders so we can flip the narrative. And instead of having, um, I think it's less than 2% female CEOs, let's make sure it's 50%. Mentorship, let's talk about that for a second. Um, Is there a specific mentor that you would like to mention, someone who's done something really incredible for you? You know what? I couldn't figure out how to be a working mom. And there was no playbook and there was no book. And I was committed to both my daughter and my job. And the notion that I had to prioritize one or the other was something that I really struggled with. And so I had a woman executive that I really leaned on that kind of guided me for two solid years of how do you make that transition. And I think that was really important for me during that period of time, and she got me through it. And so I acknowledge her. Then I have an old boss of mine that he met me. I didn't have the skill set, but he saw through me a person that was willing to work hard and ensure that he was set up for success, and he gave me that shot. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I am today. It's a really important point you just mentioned. I think a lot of young people starting in their career don't really understand mentorship, and they think that maybe they have to choose one person to be their mentor throughout their career. And so what you're saying is important, that you can have multiple mentors that help you throughout different parts of your career, your personal life. You know, it's this really, really important point. Yeah, and I think, I mean, just to make it super simple so people understand, view mentors as advisors and sponsors as your advocates. So explain the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. So a mentor would advise you, you know, throw any problem and find the person that can best guide you through that problem. A sponsor is going to be that person that's going to say, Sally, you got to think about Sally for that role. And or he or she, the sponsor is going to be aware of an opportunity, whether it's outside the company and say, you know what? I have a candidate that you should really consider. Um, So that person really goes to bat for you. Correct. I've had both. And the other point, when you think about mentors and sponsors, most individuals think insular. They think within the company. And I always like to say, like, network in, network out, and network wide. So network in is within the company. Network out is look outside within your industry. And then network wide, I talked about it earlier, is that you don't want to just have pure, deep relationships. You want to have wide relationships in business. You know, I think that's really good advice. I think we can all work harder to form more meaningful relationships. But before we go into any more detail, I think the best way to really understand someone today is to hear about their past. So tell me about young Sandra. You know, when you're the middle child, you're often ignored. And that's actually, uh, it's a great trait because you figure it out on your own. And doing what I would like to do to achieve my dreams. So when I was a young girl, I wanted to be a, a fashion designer. And so my mother and my father said, hey, honey, like, you're not a really good designer. Back then, you're like, there's three careers. You either go business, a doctor, a lawyer. And I figured out a way that I could actually accomplish both. So I went to UC Davis. They had um, a degree in uh, textiles and science, which was fashion as well as economics. Attending the university, I learned of a postgraduate program in Italy, and it's um, around fashion. And that postgraduate program was dedicated to only Italian citizens, right? You had to be Italian. And it was limited to, I think, only 30 seats. 
And I spoke to the dean of my school. I'm like, hey, I want to go to this university. And they said, no, you can't um, because you're not Italian citizen. And I said, well, can you please pick up the phone and call the dean of the university? And I need to be there. And here's the three reasons why I need to be a participant. And we made it happen. And so I think that really represents who I am as a person is every single time you tell me no, I will say yes and I'll figure out how to get there. So um, young Sandra Lopez was always about perseverance and figuring it out. And I think a lot of it had to do because I was the middle child and I had to figure it out on my own. And I think that trait plays really well as I've you know grown and matured in terms of no matter what obstacle is placed in front of you, you just have to figure out how to get through it. And um, you have to rely on people and you it's okay to ask for help so that time very young I was actually asking the dean for help I am not afraid to say hey I need help I need guidance so that's um, that's me did your parents encourage leadership when you were a child my parents really encouraged um, being passionate about what you want to do. So, Are they from here? They're 100% Mexican, so both are very passionate people, and my father is a very hard worker, and so they said two things. Well, they actually said three things. Work hard, because hard work gets rewarded, and I do believe that. Be passionate about what you do, and always do it with respect. So hard work, passion, and respect. I agree that those are three great characteristics that everybody should have. Sandra, tell us your first job out of college. My first job out of college was being a buyer because I wanted to pursue fashion. And so buyer was very akin to like a brand manager. And I was really excited. And um, I joined this company and they had a rotation program. So I had an opportunity to have lunch with the C-level executives. And I was sitting there and I was super excited. I prepared and had all my questions. And I was sitting next to the CEO. And he kind of whispered in my ear. He's like, hey, do you see you know your colleague across the table? I'm like, yeah, that's Aaron. He's like, he's going to be more successful than you are. I'm like, okay, well, great. And he was really good. Aaron was great at statistics and analytics. Um, and I knew as a buyer, like, maybe I need to hone in my like math and analytics skills. So he's going to tell me to go get my MBA. And, and then he whispered in my ear, he's like, there's a glass ceiling that exists. And I was like, I, I was so demoralized. And I, okay, so I went home. He and actually I, said that out loud to you. Yes. And so, um, you know, but you know what, credit to him, he actually told me. So it was a blessing in disguise because I went home and I really thought about it. And I went to my parents' house and I made the decision that I wanted to quit. And my mother's like, Mija, why are you going to quit? You had such a great job. Your job is fantastic, getting paid really well. You're super excited. This is what you've been working so hard. And I said, nobody is going to tell me that I will not make it to the C ranks. And this goes back to your earlier question around who I am as an individual. He told me no. The next day I went in and I said I quit. Amazing. Incredible to hear that. Little did I know that was probably the start of my journey of making sure that there's equality in the workplace. It was my transition into Silicon Valley and working in the tech industry. And I transitioned to the tech industry understanding that and knowing that technology was going to change how we live. I, I saw the future and I wanted to be part of the future. So we're going to start getting into the four S's. So I do want to understand how you made that transition to tech. What was that first spark? You know, I was living in the heart of Silicon Valley. And while I was in fashion and I studied fashion, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Really what I was interested is just human behavior and how fashion and what you chose to wear could increase somebody's confidence. And then I understood it's really, you know, brands and the interaction of brands with consumers was really fascinating to me. And then how technology can connect the world. I was really fascinated by the internet and how I have access to all the information. I no longer had to go to the library and rely on encyclopedias. And that to me just excited me. I'm like, wow, I had this all at like my fingertip. And so I want to be part of that. And the way I transitioned my job from like, being a fashion merchant to being in marketing in tech was I just translated the skill sets that I had. And I think oftentimes what I notice with just people in general, when you're starting off your career, you feel like you have to check every single box and it has to be one for one. And I go, no, sometimes think about if you're the captain of your team, that's leadership. And you can translate those skill sets into managing a program. And so I think we have to give us a little bit of a freedom of creativity. It doesn't have to be within the same industry. It could be applied throughout multiple different industries. Yeah, I really like the idea that we're kind of the sum of our collective experiences. So early on in your professional career, you hit a snag. 
and that was that you felt that you needed to cover up your Latina heritage. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so um, I grew up in a upper middle class neighborhood, predominantly white. And at that time, there was a lot of um, affirmative action. They would give X amount of seats to universities associated to your nationality, whether you're underrepresented, you know, minority, whether you're black or Latino. And um, there was a lot of conversation around that. And there was a lot of controversy. And what I didn't want is I didn't want people to think that I was given handouts. And I wanted to make sure that people recognized that I got to where I was getting to where I was getting to based on my own merit. Um, my own intellect, my will, my grit. And so I hid the fact that I was Mexican. And also, you know, being a minority um, is very isolating. And so I just wanted to be like everybody else. I tried everything I could to be like them. And then, you know, I would go to Mexico and the my, you know, my Mexican family thought I was American. And so I was always confused of who my identity was. Like, am I Mexican or am I American? So another snag that you had to overcome early in your career is that you felt like you needed to fit in with the boys. What did that mean? It wasn't that I wanted to fit in with the boys. I felt like I had to because I was the minority. And it kind of goes back to think about when I was you know, I'm Mexican, a Mexican-American trying to be American. Same thing. I was a woman trying to be like one of the guys because I wanted to be relevant. And that meant that I made choices that were very uncomfortable. The easy ones were like I, I went and I took uh, golf lessons with my girlfriend, Anissa, back in the day when we were excited at home because I – I knew that playing golf was really important. I knew that decisions were being made on the golf course. And then I looked at some of my female friends that played golf really well, and they weren't even being invited to join the male club. I quickly gave that up because I really wasn't good at golf, um, but that I could do happy hour really well. And so I would go hang out with the boys during happy hour and business gets done during happy hour. And I felt like I had to show up. And then there was one scenario that I talk about it publicly. It was very uncomfortable, um, but I made the choice to do it because it was a whole notion of how do I fit in. At CES back in the day, it was they also had another show that was happening um, which was the international porn show. And a lot of people would actually have business meetings at some of the functions within the uh, porn show. And so I caught one that there was going to be a business meeting that was over dinner at a restaurant. Then I found out it was a strip club. And I told the, um, the group that I wanted to join. And they thought it was very awkward that a woman wanted to join. Um, but I said, I know conversations are happening, so if I need to pick up the next day and move things forward, then I have to be part of the conversation. So I decided to go participate. Over time, I just started to really get tiring, Um, and I kept on playing the game until I joined Intel, and um, in 2005, I got a call from Ernie Felix, and he asked me this kind of question, which I thought he, he, he... thinks it was very simple, but for me was a, a life changer was, what does it feel like to be a Latina in, in corporate America? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And well, one, because I had my ethnicity, and two, I was always trying to be one of the guys. And it bothered me for three months. And then I realized that this entire time, for half of my career, I have been covering. Covered that I was Latina, covered that I was a woman. And then I began to shed the mask and really dig deep on who Sandra Lopez was um, and embrace the notion that I'm a passionate Mexican, embrace the notion that I am a woman that represents 50% of the voices in uh, in the globe. Um, The notion that, you know what, screw it. I want to wear beautiful red velvet pump heels. Um, I want to wear that dress and, you know, I'm a curvy Latina that shares my hips and that's okay. You know what happened in that process of really understanding who I am as an individual? the confidence in me started to blossom. Did you feel like it started to swing the other way where you wanted to let people know where you came from? Absolutely, I would tell my stories and I felt free and I felt liberated and I was happy. I look back and when I sit there and talk to the next generation, I go, the first thing that you should do is really uncover who you are first and foremost and who your values are and embrace who that 
person is because we are all uniquely different. Because if I would have done that years ago, I would have accelerated my career and I would have been a happier person. So for those who are listening and can identify with what you went through, explain why it's so important not to pretend to be somebody you're not and what that does for your self-esteem and your psyche. You know, first and foremost, is like, why do you want to be somebody else when you were just born to be different? Let, let's just acknowledge that your DNA and your experiences are so unique that nobody in this world is going to have. And that's what makes you so special. Right. Because of that, you will bring value to the conversation. And it's okay to be different. And if you know what? If that company or that organization doesn't value you for who you are and what you bring to the table... Honestly, you're probably not at the right company. So what are some of the stereotypes um, that you feel Latina women have to overcome still? Um, That we're very passionate. Yes, I think in some cases we may need to control our temper, but uh, that's all manageable. So, and that's and that you have to fine tune it. Like you have to sometimes fine tune and understand the context that you're in. Is there a difference between being passionate and emotional? Or does the emotional come with one of the stereotypes of being a woman? Emotion comes with one of the stereotypes of being a woman. And then I would argue if that same emotion is played out with the male, are they judged equally? The answer is no. We just saw that recently. And um, look at Serena Williams. That is a prime example. So we are being judged differently. Our responsibilities not to give up. Our responsibilities to drive the conversation and make our, our male counterparts aware of how they make us feel. And the why right? Because once you get to the heart of why, it becomes very much emotional and we're all human beings and become much more relatable. So I think that's really important. Can you tell us a moment in your career where you had a big learning lesson that really kind of maybe shifted your direction? I think every day there's a lesson that I can learn. I am a very big believer that I'm a perpetual student, but um, I'll talk about an experience with regards to a reorganization. And reorgs happen often in small, medium, large companies. My entire team was reallocated to a, a different leader, and I was kind of left with a team of one. I was really upset, and I was upset for a couple of days, and I go back to what I think has made me successful is I looked at the opportunity in my new venture of Team of One and thought to myself, I'm going to make something compelling out of this. And I started to see the opportunity. How large was your team before it was cut? Fifteen. That's quite a difference. And it it was interesting because everybody thought like, oh, did Sandra get demoted and blah, 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 and all the gossip. And I could have let all the gossip get to me and, and get to my head. And I just said, just wait. And I started to think about what the job could possibly be. So oftentimes, we're given a job description, and we think that's our job. And I always tell people, like, that's just your baseline. You can do so much with it. It depends on what you want to do with it. And that led me to driving new business for Intel. And I could have just launched a product, and it's pretty straightforward. But I saw a broader vision of bringing fashion and technology together and um, having that conversation with my manager. And and that resulted in me going um, into general management role and then eventually really getting into how do you start new businesses in a large corporation. So when the reorg happened, it seemed at first to be a huge snag. But really what it did was it steered you to the next phase of your career. I think the big lesson is there were two roads that I could have taken. I could have been the woe is me. I can't believe this happened to me. I'm going to quit. I'm going to leave. And I just I just saw the opportunity. And I think that um, I am so grateful for that reorg because I got exposure to a completely new industry and how do you merge two industries, um, technology and fashion. And I applied those learnings to sports and tech as well. And along the way in these journeys, I met some amazing individuals that have been invaluable in my both personal life and professional life and have become my best friends. And so I tell people, like, don't get so fixated on what's happening. Look at what you've been handed and now figure out how you're going to play the cards. So like so many other women who I've interviewed on She Dynasty, it sounds like your snag has turned into your shift. How have you applied these lessons into your leadership style or what is your leadership style? My leadership style is one that's, um, I think it's very important for everybody on my team to feel a sense of ownership and accountability. So I'm very much hands off. I think they all contribute to the success of the organization. 
I am a very big believer that it's we, not I. We collectively work together. So I always tell my team, like, if you want me to move that garbage can, I will be, I'll move that garbage can for you. And then the last point that is really important to me is that it's, I'm a very big believer of servant leadership. I'm in service to my company. I'm in service to my team. I'm in service to my partners and the industry at large. And so the greatest reward for me is when I see how somebody evolves from where they are today to where they've become and making sure that they're happy and they're doing something that they love. So you've been at Intel for 13 years, is that correct? Correct. And you mentioned that it's also really important for people to align their own personal values with their company's values. So tell us about the values that you and Intel share. Yeah, so there's there's a lot. I think the first and foremost is constructive confrontation. Um, it's one of those values that it applies, it, how I view my values being honest and transparent is really important to me. The other value is you think about like customer service and that's about respect. And so while the values of my company are translated a little bit more business oriented, on the emotional intelligence side, there's a one-to-one correlation. Um, The notion about driving innovation, that to me is like forward progression of society. And then you you have your company values, but then you have the organizational values. Because not every organization functions exactly the same. And so who you work for, who you work with, and that's equally important. So within our organization, similarly, we value um, respect, um, collaboration, really supporting each other. I mean, we're in sports, so it's all about teamwork and making sure that we can do dives and catches for each other. And I think that's really important. You've obviously had a lot of different successes at Intel. And I'm just wondering, is there a pressure as soon as you find success to immediately focus on what's next just because you are in the tech space? Or are you able to kind of sit there for a minute and enjoy it? I think it really depends on the individual. So for me personally, I enjoy it every day. I think the team is successful every day. I look at what they get up and do and I see the small wins that they have and I recognize that, you know, that's a that was a great day. I think it's really important that we all work so hard and that we all just need to have a little bit more fun and we all have to applaud the work that we're doing. And so um, every day is a celebration. I was, it was so funny. I was, when I was coming down to LA this morning. I was at the airport and some people were like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing great. We woke up today, right? Like, that's amazing. You know, I had the opportunity to go into Intel Studios in LA of which it's the world's largest volumetric um, film production studio. And I saw what the team was doing and it's magic. And how can I not celebrate that? It must be so cool to always be on the forefront of what's happening in technology. So tell me, what sort of resources do you and your team rely on to really stay on top of current and future trends? Yeah, so Intel as a company, we have um, ethnographers, anthropologists, we have strategists that look ahead to anticipate what is next. As an individual, like I'm just intellectually curious and I hyper index on culture. I think technology, fashion, media, entertainment are all defining society. So I'm super curious. So you may find me at Coachella before Coachella was happening just because I'm curious. Um, You know, people are talking about millennials, but what about the next generation plurals? And so my eight-year-old daughter, like, I look and I observe from afar how they're interacting and, you know, are they still engaging with their iPhones or are we seeing the pendulum swing of moving away from technology but more engaged in, like, live environments without technology and why is that happening? I just saw the research around, I guess millennials are changing the stats around divorce rates. Being curious and really understanding like how society is working and forms where technology should go and then what you're capable of from a technology perspective. Eventually there's this nice intersection between the two. It's so interesting. You're literally sitting at the crossroads of where technology and everyday life meet. So I have to ask, what business-related accomplishment are you the most proud of? God, that's a tough one because there's so many different things that we... Look, I, I think anything that we have done as a team around 
um, transforming marketing or business for good. So the team that started talking about influencer marketing before influencer marketing really became a thing, the team that's really transforming and bringing these experiences to fans, there have been moments in time that the team that I worked with has made a dent, and I call those dents um, for good, I'm so proud of. And I look forward to having so many more successes in my future life. Do you ever feel like you have issues bridging the gap between generations um, on your team? No, because I have always been curious about understanding human beings, and I always believe that everybody adds some type of value. And so when we started to realize that millennials were going to fundamentally transform the workplace, my team created this program called Millennialize Me. And it was to understand them. If I believe in diversity and inclusion, that means I believe in diversity and inclusion across age, ethnicity, different types of uh, industries. And so I hired a lot of millennials, and I think I was one of the early managers within the company that was doing that. And then when you understand, you get it, and then you, you have to adapt. If you really understand that fundamentally beyond age group and genders, we're human beings, and it's about understanding each other to eventually form a high-performing team, that's what matters. I look, I've had millennials that are super more way intelligent than me, and I was like, wow, these people are pretty impressive. And so, and it makes my team better. It's so important that generations learn from each other. So tell me, Sandra, what do you consider to be the most challenging part of your job? The most challenging part of my job is that we're honestly on 24 by 7. So for better or for worse, right, being in tech, tech has created this society that we're always connected. And really learning, it's okay to put my phone away. Um, It's okay not to respond immediately. Just recently, I took my first vacation completely disconnected. It was transformative. And while I was on this vacation, I was looking at afar all these other characters and these characters were me there was the individual that couldn't go on a family boat trip because he had to be on a conference call the other person that was having breakfast and dealing with conference calls while the kids were there you have your kids for a limited time in that age and you have your family members or your friends or that vacation for a limited time and so It's about being present and engaged. And you know what? Work can wait. Were you stressed at all that you couldn't answer or look at things? Could you relax? Could you truly relax knowing that things might need your attention? You know, I could. And I would say I could because when my father got sick, I I needed like an outlet. And I really embraced transcendental meditation. And transcendental meditation, I tell people, has been one of my saving graces. And you you have these dark moments in your life. Um, Do you meditate every day? I meditate every day. For how long? So I wake up every morning. Uh, My first action is 20 minutes of transcendental meditation. And then in the afternoon, you do another 20 minutes of transcendental meditation. And finding 20 minutes is really difficult, right? I I always tell people, like, I live by the minute, not by the hour. And so you have to schedule it. Is that seven days a week? Seven days a week. It has given me different perspective on life. I'm much more productive. I'm much more focused. Were you that type of person who didn't understand meditation before you started it just because yes, I thought it was people for- keep telling me I should try it and I just feel like I could never do it? Yes, that was me. And I was like, I, would, I can never do it. I can never sit there for 20 minutes. That's for, that's for crazy folks. And I just couldn't understand. And I was sitting down with the... Um, data scientist of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I was just talking about, like, I feel like every day there's so much tension and, you know, my brain's going on, like, you know, how, you know, 100 miles an hour. And he was telling me, like, you know, athletes, a lot of it is just mental over the physical. And he's like, you know, you should just give transcendental meditation a shot. I'm like, what, what is, is that? T- tell us what it does for you. Like, what's, how does it change how you feel? It just calms you down and it focuses. And when you come out of the 20 minutes, it feels like you have slept for hours. And the goal is to completely clear your mind. Completely clear your mind. And so you're able to do that? Yes. So I think the transcendental meditation has prepared me for letting go and going on that vacation, has prepared me for the weekends of like, it's all about my daughter. So my 
work phone is a way, you know, or hanging out with my friends and or my family members and just getting off of social media. What time do you wake up in the morning to do this, being that you have a daughter and a full-time job? 5.30 in the morning. Every day? Every day. And well, me- no, on the weekends I'm lying. Ugh, the weekends I sleep in a little bit. I don't work out Monday through Friday, which is okay. I work out Saturday and Sunday while traveling. I'm actually more productive of, you know, finding time to go to the gym yeah. when I Focusing travel. on well, your well-being is very important to you. Yeah, it's very important. And I tell people, like, my well-being is not just about my, like, health and my physical health. It's as much about my mental health because you need that. You need a healthy brain. You need to be stress-free. And I wish more people focus on mental um, as much as they focus on physical. And then I think the other thing, too, which is pervasive and nobody talks about it, it's kind of like this hidden thing. Um, in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of people that are uh, facing depression. And it's a stigma. And it, But it's just like cancer. It's an illness. You know, you can't fix the brain. Um, similarly, when you're stressed, your brain needs to relax. I think given kind of at my level, I should start to talk more about making sure that people allocate time for just just mental health as much as their physical health. Yeah, there's not enough conversation about that for sure. No. What does it mean to embrace your feminism in business? And do do you feel like you have any advantages being a woman? Oh, well, okay, I can answer it in different ways. Um, no, I don't think I have advantages being a woman because of the injustices that exist. Um, and ironically, you know, when you're the only woman in executive staff and you keep on talking about issues that you see internally or externally, you're like the woman that cries woof. And so then you need your male allies to speak up, but they don't, they're not in our shoes. So they don't know if a comment is inappropriate because they're not a woman. Um, and so the only way this is going to change is there can't just be two females in, in somebody's staff. That is not inclusion. Inclusion is when you get 50%. And that's when you're going to flip the narrative. So when individuals are looking at their staff, they're like, oh, yeah, I have a female on my staff. That's not enough because that female is probably going to do what I did is adjust to the male way. You need more than one, more than two to really ensure that we are putting the right processes in place to drive equality for all. And then I think the other thing, too, around feminism that I think is really important, um, somebody asked me, you know, what's my point of view on the future CEO of Intel? Because we're in the midst of looking for a new CEO. And How about you? Someday. No, someday. <laughs> um, and, I, and I said, and they're like, hey, you obviously probably are fighting for a woman. I go, no, I want the right CEO for the company to drive through their transition. And if it happens to be a female, great. What I would like to see is in the um, list of possible uh, candidates, a diverse set of candidates, and then pick the best. So I'm a very big believer that when I hire, I don't start the interview process, even if it takes me two or three months or four months to find a candidate pool until it's diverse. And I will always hire the best candidate, regardless of gender, ethnicity. Is there anything about your background or culture that you think helps you lead better? I think my background with regards to being bicultural has an appreciation of that we all have different viewpoints and we all come from different experiences because I would go to Mexico and experience something else. I would go to uh, the U.S. and live in the U.S. and there's a different experience. Um, And so the self-awareness that we all come from different backgrounds is really important. I also believe that... I know what it feels like to be an outlier uh, growing up as a minority in a middle-class white neighborhood because you're isolated. And when I look around and I look at those introverts and or I look at a person that's being isolated, I try to do whatever I can to make sure they feel that they're included the way they want to feel included because some people don't like the center of attention, but they can be included in different ways. I take my experiences and apply them where I think they make sense and to ultimately ensure that the people that are on my team 
find the best versions of themselves. And then sometimes in the process of finding the best versions of themselves, they may not be right for my team. So um, a woman who I think is a super rock star, and I saw so much talent in her, but I also recognize her talent was not being utilized in my team, and there's nothing that I could do to solve it given the expertise that I needed. And she evolved into another group, and she's doing amazing stuff. I think it was my self-awareness of what I think she's capable of that I kind of pushed her to go to explore this other job, and she's super happy, and she's learning more about herself and what her potential is. So you're a mom to an eight-year-old daughter, and I can't even imagine how hard it is to balance family with the job you have. Tell us how you do it. I mean, life is all about prioritization. So in the context of when my child was born, um, I recognized that I had to have a job that was kept me more at headquarters and didn't require traveling because that, that was, I prioritized my daughter. Um, and then when she grew older, I was able to travel more. So I took a job that was a little bit more demanding. You know, oftentimes we are judged by the quantity versus the quality. And I have chosen quality over quantity. And my daughter looks at me and she admires me and she gets so excited when school friends or when somebody shows her something that mom has done and she looks at me with such admiration and she's the one she's like I'm so proud of you mommy so it's recognizing that you don't need to feel bad you're obviously a very um, driven person you work really hard do you ever feel guilty that you might be putting a lot of pressure on your daughter that she has to kind of live up to what you have put in front of her no, because I'm a very big believer, like, pursue your passion and do whatever you want to do. Right now, she wants to be a dog trainer, so I'm like, go be a dog trainer, whatever. Just do it well. Um, if she wants to do a – she wants to, I don't know, be a painter, fantastic. If she wants to be a doctor, a lawyer, fantastic. Um, I don't want to feel the pressure that – like, my parents kind of put us into a box. And I think I have really learned – the idea that we're all individuals and the importance that if you're super passionate success will follow so whatever she wants to become it's my job to sit there in the background and enable her to become that beautiful person that she wants to become well Sandra we have learned a lot of new things about you today I have to say you're truly an inspiration to me and to so many other women at my company um, everybody's really excited to hear your interview and I really wanted to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and join us and do this podcast. I'm going to bring Hope back over because I know she has a few questions for you. Well, as Valerie said, you're truly an inspiration and you're the epitome of working hard gets you far. Yeah. You mentioned that you left your job because an executive said that there was a glass ceiling. And then you also mentioned earlier that you hid your, you know, your ethnicity that's going to be hard for me to do because I'm Korean. I can't hide that I'm Asian. But it reminds me of a time when I first started my career. I had a boss who was Asian, and she told me never to serve my clients food or drinks because of the Asian stereotype of women being subservient and submissive. What kind of recommendations do you have for people to overcome stereotypes in the workplace, whether it be gender, sexuality, race, or ages? I mean, I think it's a really great question and and really fundamentally it's it's understanding those stereotypes and finding a careful balance without losing sight of who you are so I think the best way is to kind of give the example that I could personally relate to for me in terms of Latina and being passionate I will never lose passion for the love of the job that I do or or the love of my employees I also be need to be acutely aware that as a passionate person, sometimes I can get super excited and or maybe sometimes very um, angry and frustrated. And it's just fine-tuning the knobs. So in your scenario around, you know, your boss that said never serve the food and drinks to your clients, potentially it's the way you decide to serve the food and drinks to your clients. So, I mean, I've similarly received feedback as a woman, you know, don't come across as, you know, you're the um, caterer and that you're bringing the food. But I think it's like you can sit down and say, hey, I know that some of you guys have taken a long trip. 
should we bring a couple of you know bottles of water? Great. And maybe you have somebody else that's supporting that's a male that can go get that, right? But you're the offering, right? You're 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 the hostess and you're offering that to your clients. So it's maybe it's not about no, it's just about understanding how do you change the knob slightly. I think it's understanding that stereotype and figuring out what is the most appropriate response and play it out. Practice because then you get confidence and then you can anticipate potentially some questions that will happen. So simply put is just recognize that it exists, then figure out how best to address it. And sometimes it's not about completely ignoring it. It's about how you change the knobs higher or lower given the context of the situation. So I'm a new mom, and earlier you mentioned that you had a mentor who was a new, who was a mother and a career woman. So as a new mother, what advice do you give to me? Well, first of all, congratulations on your wonderful little boy. I think what's really important is two things. Ne- never feel guilty and ask for help. Um, I think oftentimes we're ashamed to ask for help and have no shame because we all need help. And there's enough research that has shown that as a working mom, we take on much more than our male partner, um, if you have a male partner, with regards to the job and you come home and doing the chores. And somebody said something really provocative just recently is putting the dishes away in the dishwasher is a job. And having that conversation with your partner that, you know, that's part of contribution. Don't underestimate washing dishes and putting dishes in the dishwasher. And to not underestimate picking up the socks on the floor. So I think open communication and being vulnerable enough. Sandra, I have one more question. Do you have any side hustles? I do. I have multiple side hustles, but the one that I'm really excited about right now is um, I'm working on a book dedicated to the next generation of female leaders who I believe will be CEOs, um, 20 to 35, and the working title right now is called Hashtag Going Pro, How to Make It in Corporate America. Awesome. I can't wait to read it. We've learned so much, and I think that all the girls out there who are going to listen to this podcast would be so inspired. We hope that we all have a role model like you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having Chi Dynasty. It's amazing. Mm-hmm.